All right, guys, welcome back to yet another episode of Being Effing For Real. I am pretty sure this is episode nine. Um, So, yay, hooray, we're almost to ten episodes. Woo! Um, So, today we have a treat for you guys. We are going to be talking about the newest Netflix movie, um, They Clone Tyrone. Um, it's very much so trippy sci-fi type movie um, with a majority black cast. I think there's only like one major white character. So yes, majority black cast, uh, black production team, you know, just yes, put black people on the screens more, give us different genres to work with. You know, we don't all fit a box or a stereotype. So, you know, just... Give us more material to have. You got anything to say, friend, for that? I do, actually. To build off of you, that sci-fi, it's not so often a genre that you see Black people in. And if we are, unfortunately, we'll just made the side character tokens. I can name so many of those, like John Boyega, who's ironically the lead star of this movie. Previously, he was in the Star Wars sequel trilogy, in which I remember hearing that they were going to make new Star Wars movies back in 2013 or was it 2014 when Disney had bought the rights back from Lucasfilm to Star Wars characters. So then when they started making new characters, I remember John Boyega was casted. And then I remember seeing the very first teaser. I remember thinking to myself, is John Boyega going to be like the new lead character? That is he going to be the new Jedi? Because, you know, there's no black Jedi aside from Samuel L. Jackson's character, Master Mace Windu. So, of course, that was like a really big thing at the time that we had thought we were going to get another black leading Jedi character. But unfortunately, despite there was a lot of mismarketing that John Boyega, despite that he was holding the lightsaber in all of the posters, thinking that he would be the new Jedi, he was just completely sidelined as, like, the humorous token. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, had no clue. Yeah. Ew. Hate that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I, like I said, our last recording, this is our second one, because, you know, the Matrix, they're trying to shut us down. They don't mm-hmm. like us here. Uh, yeah. Like Funny said, story, um, y'all. Like, this is like our third time, like, trying to record this episode. It's like, it just mm-hmm. keeps freezing up. We're either kicking me and TJ out of the session. It's, it's like the government doesn't want us to talk about this movie. And it's yeah. funny because TJ had mentioned earlier that there suspiciously wasn't that many, like, black film critics, like, reviewing They Clone Tyrone on YouTube. And it made me wonder what if they did and the government took it down. Yep, that part. Because. <laughs> YouTube keeps digging down my videos when I try to do stuff. So YouTube is being very annoying right now. Uh, but yeah, like I said last recording, um, I find it very interesting that you won't see black people in sci-fi or another genre unless it's a black production, like with Jordan Peele and Donald Glover, you know, all that. Like, you just won't see it. We have to make our own stuff. Mm-hmm. To yeah, build off of, yeah, to build off of you, um, very interesting point that you just made. It reminded me of an interview with actor Anthony Mackie. Y'all might know him better as Sam Wilson, also known as Falcon, also known as New Captain America in the MCU. He had said a very similar thing to you in an interview, like regarding Black Panther, that he wasn't necessarily trying to downplay, like, you know, the success and the cultural, like, reset of the Black Panther films. 
But I thought it was interesting that he brought attention that whenever you see like a predominant like black cast and crew, why is that only for like like for example, you have like a black stunt coordinator, a black stunt man, black makeup artists and costume designers. How come they're only hired to work on like a movie that centers a, a black character or predominantly black cast as if they're not good enough to work like in the production crew of an Iron Man movie or a Spider-Man movie or Captain America and so on, white Marvel character or just non-black Marvel character? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very um, weird, very strange. It also falls into line with the uh, Little Mermaid topic because I know people were saying, oh... Why do we keep putting black people in these white roles? Why don't we mm. just make our own stuff? But then when we make our own stuff, sometimes y'all don't want to watch it. I agree. My shout out to my um, good sis, Taluya C. She had actually made a video on her TikTok page, Wanna Go Support Her. I believe that's her handle, Taluya C. That she had pretty much bought up the point of what you're saying right now, friend. I don't completely disagree that we should, like, create more original Black characters created by, you know, Black writers and whatnot who's going to tell our stories better than us. But at the same time, it's like when that actually happens, how many times often more than not do people actually go out to support it? If you ask in my humble opinion, I think the Black Panther films and also the Into the Spider-Verse movies with Miles Morales got the benefit of the doubt because they were under the label of Marvel, which has been around for decades and decades, which it's not Black-owned. So there's Mm -hmm. your answer. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's such a big topic. And um, it really falls in line with today, especially because of the strikes and stuff. You know, I feel like with us like we have to make our own stuff because who's gonna have our back but us you know mm-hmm. black people go to act in these things and writing these things and then they get mistreated underpaid all that stuff so uh or they just aren't allowed to branch out beyond a stereotype so yeah mm-hmm. it's that's that's a very a very important topic and yeah it falls in line with our discussion and to get into the clone Tyrone, I would love to start us off with, I really like the point that you brought up that, you know, it's very refreshing when we see black actors and whatnot, like work on a production that has to do with sci-fi fantasy genres that were not so often included in because they often like to box us into stereotypes. Like, for example, like, let's say you have a narrative about either surviving the hood through playing a sport or like seeking out a music career, just all the recycled stuff that we've probably seen throughout the last decade, like you name it, All American, every single last power series, BMF, and etc. And but what I love about they clone Tyrone, it's like to me, they use those stereotypes to actually push forward a bigger message with the use of its satirility and humor. And it really reminded me out of something from the Boondocks animated TV show or even an episode of Donald Glover's Atlanta or an episode of Black Mirror, if I may, honestly. It's a very, like, think outside the box, like, type of movie. Yeah, for sure. I think that, uh, like you said, they use the stereotypes to send a message because the stereotypes were used to control the community. You know, mm-hmm. you had the drug dealer, the pimp, the um, the the preacher. Yeah. Um, 
the, the uh, fast hair food manager the fast food restaurant managers the hairstylists with the certain perm creams and conditioners and just so many products that black people consume on an everyday basis that are not black owned and most likely have harmful chemicals compared to when you buy black owned mm-hmm. yeah it's very um interesting to discuss uh and getting into the movie a bit more um they also discussed the aspect of brainwashing uh through music which can honestly be true because you know like uh you grow up you hear all this uh gang banging music i do drugs i do a lot of stuff with women and then all of a sudden these boys want to go and these women want to go um do the same thing as what they hear and they think it's cool and fun and dandy and then you have more violence in the community and it just it creates a pipeline of jail and all that stuff. So, yeah. It's yeah. so funny you bring this up, friend, because as I was scrolling through Instagram today, I saw something literally pertaining to this that I had saw a quote from Meek Mill that he said that most of the time rappers are paid to rap about ignorant stuff. But are we really surprised? Because they're paid to do that. Yeah, yeah people, uh, rappers are paid to rap about ignorance stuff. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised by that. I mean, is he really wrong though? You can say whatever you want about Meek Mill. I'll admit he's had his shady moments, but it's truly hard to deny that. And who knows if some of the shady stuff that he said in some of his songs is because he was paid to do that. Because yeah. he is under a label at the end of the day. He doesn't manage himself. Yeah. Uh... Also, no, I was just also going to add, like, to my own experience, when it comes to being influenced by lyricism, when I was in middle school, I was introduced to, um, what's it called? I was about to say WNBA, no, I meant to say M- NWA, the hip-hop group from the 80s. And I just had this phase with them where, you know, I would listen to them and what I would think what they're saying is cool. But at the time, I'm like 11 or 12 years old. Do I truly know that much better at the time of what they're truly conveying like in their storytelling like you know like you know getting into fights over dope or like berating black women and whatnot and it's funny because you know a lot of these rappers that even today that a lot of young black men idolize are typically misogynoiristic colorist anti-lgbt and like just every ism you know and I wouldn't be surprised that that's what's influencing some of these toxic behaviors in young black men, you know? And when I started listening to certain rappers like Tupac as I got older or a tribe called Quest, that they would be considered under more of the affiliation of conscious rappers. It's definitely a different style of rap that opened my perspective to storytelling because, you know, at the time, artists like Tupac and A Tribe Called Quest, they were considered, and even Lauryn Hill, that they were ahead of their time. Because you take Tupac, for example, like his first song that really blew him up, Brenda's Got a Baby, that um, trigger warning out there that the song has to do with sexual assault, that the, um, the girl in the story, Brenda, that she was from a Harlem neighborhood where Tupac grew up, and she was sexually assaulted by her older cousin you know how how the rest goes parents don't believe her they tell her they can't get an abortion because they're overly christian 
wh- what does she know what to do when she's like 12, 13 years old and she's pregnant? You know, she dumps um the baby in a dumpster and eventually like she turns to a life of drugs and prostitution. And just I heard that she was killed on the streets eventually. So it's a really tragic story. But let me not get way too sidetracked. But the point that I'm trying to convey here, when you can pay when you compare Tupac storytelling to NWA, Tupac, he was literally going against what was definitively seen as hip-hop storytelling during that time. And he was, if Tupac was around today, he would undoubtedly be called like a simp or a woman panderer because how many rappers back then like Tupac were actually sticking up for issues going on in the community instead of glamorizing them? Yeah, this is actually a perfect segue, friend, to get into the movie. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the opening scene. So we open up uh, to these people in front of a corner store. Um, in the back of them, there's a poster of a white man smiling, watching them, which very much so foreshadowing. Um, and they are discussing that one of them saw, was it Michael Jackson? Yeah, it was the, Michael um, Jackson and Tupac that they saw walking around their neighborhood known as the Glen, which... That's also interesting to me because they don't actually specify where this fictional neighborhood is located. It's just referred to as the Glen. Even the license plates just say a swell place, which is hilariously ironic because it's so far from that. Yeah, when I think of the Glen, I think of Glendale. Right. So where's Glendale again? Mm, let me look that up. Let's research. Uh, but yeah, they opened that up and they're discussing how they saw clones of MJ and Tupac and that they are either, you know, clones or they never really die and they're, you know, out and like living life somewhere. And uh, then we see our main character, Fontaine. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wakes up in his bed, asks his mom, does he want anything from the store? She's like, no, I went to the fresh fry. Uh, so he goes over to the store, he uh, gets his scratch off, he loses, he goes to work out, and then he picks up this little kid uh, named Junebug, who uh, helps him figure out that one of the guys is selling where he's not supposed to, selling his, his, in his turf, so he runs him over. Um, I honestly was not expecting him to run him over, uh, but that was hilarious, just mm-hmm. boop. And the way Junebug reacted was so funny to me. <laughs> he was like, you crazy. <laughs> Why did that he was him over again? I think it's because he owed him money or something, right? I think it was because he was selling in his turf and like they're not supposed to sell there. Oh, yeah. Um. So, yeah, so he's like, you're not supposed to sell here. So that whole thing. And, you know, he drops off Junebug and he goes to find. Um. He Well, he goes home. His friend comes over and he's like, Where's the rest of the money? And then he's like, "Well, I couldn't find Slick. Slick. Uh, what's his name? Charlie. Charles. Slick Charles. Yeah, Isn't I couldn't find him. Or was that a reference to a pimp named Slickback from the Yes. Like his, his character literally acted like the same exact way. I thought it was just hilarious. Yeah, it was a reference to that. Um, <clears throat> so he, so Fontaine leaves out and he goes to try to find uh Char- Charlie. Charles? We're going to call him Charlie for fun's sake. Um, so he goes to find Charlie um, and he sees this uh, this sex worker. Uh, I forgot her name, but she's the one with the pink wig. Um, and she tells him, she's like, maybe I seen him. Maybe I ain't. 
Um, and so he pays her and she tells him that he's at the, uh, the other hotel. He goes to the hotel, bangs on the door. Slick, Slick Charles is in there. Um, he, they like have a little scuffle and a little back and forth, gets his money, walks out, goes to the car. As he's about to bag out, a car backs, a car, uh, comes up behind his car so he can't bag out. And so he realizes what it is. He grabs the gun, goes to shoot. They light him up. He dies in the front seat. And all of a sudden, he wakes up in his bed. So at this point, at this point, I was like, oh, is this a Groundhog's Day situation? Is this like that movie, my favorite movie, um, Before I Before I, Before I I Fall? Um, like, I was thinking, like, is, like, is he going to keep dying over and over again until he learns a lesson or something happens? Uh, that was, like, my original uh, thought. But then um, he repeats his routine. Um, and he ends up back at the motel with sick with slick Charlie and he shows up and Charlie is like, um, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be breathing through some twos. I saw you get light up yesterday, lit up yesterday. Um, like what's going on here? This is weird. This is strange. This is suspicious. And so Fontaine doesn't believe him at first. And he's like, you can ask yo-yo. And so Yo-Yo was a sex worker who left previously. She was arguing with uh, Slick Charlie um, before Fontaine showed up. And she's the one that left. So they go find Yo-Yo. And they talk to her. And she's like, yeah, I saw you yesterday. Um, and uh, they were like, oh, did you hear any gunshots? And she's like, yeah. Uh, but when I came back, I saw this, uh, this black truck pull off. So they drive until they find the, uh, the truck. And they're like, well, and then Fontaine is like, well, this isn't the car that, you know, my rivals have. So, like, who is this? And Fontaine also notices that uh, that this is the same truck that he saw the day previously when he saw a bloody man get picked up in a black truck. Um, mm-hmm. So they sit outside the house and they uh, uh, slick Charlie and Yo-Yo want to leave. But then Fontaine goes in. So they follow him and they find, you know, this weird office space. Uh, do you want to take over, friend? Yeah, so they find, well, what it looks like is just an abandoned trap house. But then the crew, they find themselves, excuse me, that they discover a really fancy elevator, which, you know, obviously that looks out of place in a really destroyed trap house. So it's like they go down there and they find a laboratory and there's a scientist down there now here's where things start to get trippy and really set the tone for the movie if you ask me that there's a scientist a white guy but there's a gist of it um excuse me twist of it he actually has like an afro like afro like centric like coarse hair and i'm like huh at first i thought he was giving bob ross um, but apparently not. <laughs> I thought it was a Bob Ross situation, but no. Uh, carry on, friend. Yeah, and like after that, like that's what really set up the whole movie. Because then what ends up happening is like you know Fontaine's like, "What are you doing down here?" and whatnot, and like Slick Charles, like he thinks that he stumbled across like a table shelf of cocaine and he sniffs it but obviously it's not cocaine we'll get into that a little bit later because like he laughs a little bit like as he inhales it yeah he laughs and he starts to twitch and you know act strange and stuff and so uh 
Yo-Yo is also exploring the place. No, I was just going to say then after that, like, as they're about to leave the lab because Slick Charles accidentally shot the scientist. What was it Yo-Yo did? Yeah. I don't know. Yo-Yo dropped. Yeah, she put the, uh, she used one of the beakers and put it in the other beaker and it caused a reaction. So she accidentally dropped it. Oh, yeah. And it caused uh, Slick Charles to twitch and he shot the guy. Um, And then at this same time, uh, when Yo-Yo and Charles are freaking out, Fontaine happens to stumble across his body. A clone of a clone of himself. Well, okay, let me backtrack a little bit. Like you said, his body, the one that was previously lit up the other night. It's like it still has the bullet holes in it, fresh and everything. The one that Yo-Yo saw die. And mm-hmm. yeah. So um, obviously Fontaine does not take to this lightly, um, but they the alarms start going off, so they have to run outside the place. And instead of going to you know their respective homes. Um, they go to Yo-Yo's grandma's place, which mm-hmm. is also its own topic of discussion because we never see Yo-Yo's grandma. We never hear Yo-Yo's grandma. Um, nothing like that. We just know she got the grandma and this is her place. Um, so they go to Yo-Yo's room and they're supposed to... Uh, Yo-Yo convinces Fontaine to stay instead of storming out. So they stay, they spend the night and then Yo-Yo wakes up and she sees Fontaine is gone. So she wakes up to like Charles and they both leave to go find Fontaine it turns out Fontaine grabbed some of his crew and they stormed the house. But when they got there, the house was just a normal house. Like a normal mm-hmm. suburban house full of furniture and rooms and clothes and stuff. And so all mm-hmm. his friends are like, oh, well, I mean, you know, we all have off days. You know, go drink some water. It was it was so funny. We're all going to go drink that. some water. <laughs> We're actually all going to go get some water. You want to go? And so he drives off on them. Which, like, <laughs> what the heck? I thought, he was, I, thought, I thought he was driving with you, man. <laughs> It's so funny. And so he, you know, storms off. Uh, you want to carry on then with that? Yeah, so then this is would then lead into another really important aspect of the film picking up after they discovered the lab the previous night that Fontaine, Yo-Yo, and Slick Charles, that they meet up in a fried chicken restaurant. And it's funny because it's the particular of particularly a fried chicken restaurant that Fontaine always sees a commercial in like every morning that he does his routine like Mm -hmm. you know he wakes up in the morning like he just watches a little bit of tv he sees the fried chicken commercial and then you know the rest asks his mom what he wants from the um, corner store he he goes to get his scratch off ticket and his bottle of beer then yeah etc let me not get too sidetracked um so they're sitting down at the fried chicken restaurant and they're discussing what they saw the previous night but then out of nowhere, Fontaine, Yo-Yo, and Slick Charles, and just the rest of the fried chicken restaurant, as they're eating the chicken, they're just hysterically laughing like they don't have any control of themselves. And then here's the highlight, and then here's the highlight quote. Slick Charles says, it's in the chicken. It's in the chicken. Yeah, because he notices. He said, uh, Fontaine, I've never seen you, you know, laugh or smile before. You should do it more often. And then that's like his awakening from the Matrix moment. Because he's like, wait a minute. I've never seen you laugh or smile. Like, never. Why are you doing it right now? And then he realizes he's seeing everybody else is smiling and laughing for no reason. And he's like, wait a minute. It's in the chicken. So, Yo-Yo, I love Yo-Yo. She's everything. So, she gets up. She's like, I'm going to use, you know, my womanly wiles to get this information. So we find 
Wait, so I don't mean to interrupt you, friend, but you, you missed one part. So when Slick Charles says that it's in the chicken, you're probably y'all are probably wondering what's in the chicken. So remember in the lab when Slick Charles like what seemingly to him is cocaine and it makes him laugh. It's not really cocaine. The fried chicken restaurant, like I guess they substitute it like their powder for whatever that fake cocaine is, like to make them laugh. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, yeah. friend. You know. Yeah, you're okay, friend. Thank you. Um, so she tries to use her womanly wiles and goes to find the manager of the fast food restaurant. Yet and yet again, another white man with an afro. So at this mm-hmm. point, it's like it's giving pattern. It's not giving Bob Ross anymore. Unless you all go to the same barber shop, and she was like, <laughs> "Yeah, you should get the Bob Ross. It's in style." Uh, I mean, it was in style because wasn't Bob Ross on then? Well, I mean, when is then? Honestly, that's mm-hmm. the real question. Anywho, um, so she, you know, asks the guy to get her. She goes back to the office. She says she's going to give him, you know, the full package. She asks for a bucket of chicken. They get the chicken. She notices she like looks through his file she notices there's a monitor or stuff on the uh, on the tv of not just the fashion restaurant but the church and the strip club and all that stuff and so she like sits on his lap and feeds him chicken like aggressively uh it's like a sneak. um so it was very funny he's like oh yeah you like that he's like yeah i like that it's yummy <laughs> big brown thighs like yeah um and then she's like actually yeah, i just this little girl's room and then she leaves and she um informs them of what's going on and yeah. then um at this point i think this is when they see the truck outside the uh the chicken place right mm-hmm. yeah and so slip wait no 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 i'm missing steps no they go to the hair salon right and then they see the truck outside the hair salon. And so uh, Slick Charles gets in the truck because he's trying to look through the boxes and stuff. Um, and then they're supposed to come back out, you know, help him out the truck. But then uh, the rival who shot Fontaine uh, comes up in the store and he's like, wait a minute, you're dead. I just killed you. What are you doing here? This is weird. So they like get into a whole scuffle argument and the truck drivers drive off with Slick Charles. And so they follow the truck, of course, because they can't leave Slick Charles in there by himself. And they follow the truck to the church. And so they go in the church, and church is very, very, very strange. The preacher is, you know, preaching, but the atmosphere is very weird and trippy. And then they start playing, yeah, you're working with some mm-mm, mm-mm, but on the organ, which is so funny. Uh, why would you do that? Um, but yeah, he's like drinking the blood of Christ, obedience, obedience this, that, and the third, um, and the powder was in the crackers that they gave to the, uh, churchgoers, and so after church let out, they, like, hid in the, uh, the pews, is that what it's called? I haven't been to church in years, I think they're called the pews, um, you know, they hide in the pews, um, and they, when everybody's gone, they get up, and they, uh, Slick Charles was able to swipe a key card from the truck, um, so they use Slick Charles's key card, to find and they find yet, yet another elevator they take the elevator down the stairs uh they go underground um they, i forgot that we forgot to talk about the song they sang uh when they went on the elevator the first time which was so funny i don't remember the name of the song but i just remember slick charles and yo-yo start singing and like um fontaine was just like that one friend that's just had enough mm-hmm 
say to the underground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but to build off of what you said before, when Yo Yo seduced the fried chicken restaurant manager and she sees on the monitor that she sees surveillance footage of the church, that at this point, that's when the, our main set of characters realize that, like, that there's something much larger going on because why are they only surveying? like you know like really important landmarks scattered like throughout across the glen it's like so that like they're literally like watching like our everyday lives Mm -hmm. um so they go down the elevator and they find you know this whole enterprise and so fontaine goes to the bathroom and he finds you know these uh these dudes in suits and he's like you know where i can get them suits so he takes the suits off them of course then he gives them to font uh to charles and yo-yo um mm-hmm. and they you know they walk around the place they explore um we find people being experimented on being shown uh certain images like the one lady who, uh, uh the one lady from all the missing posters uh at the beginning of the movie who uh was looking at all those images and you're like you're beautiful i can't be beautiful you know all that stuff and then they you know they keep going and they find a room full of little standing up like long boxes um mm-hmm. and so i think he presses the word decanter or something like that um and it turns out it's like three of the same man and so fontaine's just walking around pressing stuff and eventually uh he finds himself uh yeah, but then also another one of his clones yeah and then also charles is walking around pressing stuff and guess what yet another crazy twist he finds himself charles it's a clone. Mm. Ah! We have yet another clone on our hands. So Yo-Yo is trying to find Charles and Fontaine. When all of a sudden, she hears gunshots. And turns out Fontaine is trying to shoot his clone. And he's like, you're not me. I'm real. You're not real. I'll kill you. And so all of a sudden, the alarm starts to go off. So they have to escape down another elevator, um, and they get out through the strip club. Uh, they're mm-hmm. in the strip, they're in the strip club dressing room, and so they like you know shed their suits and they come out. But then all of a sudden, uh, the DJ guy um, gets an alert from his walkie-talkie saying that he needs to capture these people. Um, so he decides to turn on music uh, from the big. And so at the in one of the scenes from the beginning of the movie uh, when the three when Yo-Yo, uh, Fontaine, and Charles are in the car, and they play a Rust song. And uh, Yo-Yo mentions he's like, "Oh, his songs always make me sleepy." And they're all, and they all say, "Yeah, me too." Right? I didn't even piece that together. Yeah. And so in the uh, in the strip club, the guy is like, "Oh, let me turn on this new Rust for y'all." Um, and so here is an interesting tidbit. So I we watched the uh, the di- the director talk about a few Easter eggs from the movie. And he discussed the fact that he put um, Morse code. They put Morse code in some of the songs. So one of the messages was, you know, um, well, I forgot exactly what it was. uh, But it was like, you know, telling them to to get into action and do something that they need them to do. And, you know, that was, uh, they were able to escape in their car, but the car broke down. And so everybody surrounded their car and they're trying to, you know, break in and stuff. And then all of a sudden, the song he's playing and I remember this part, the more the part, this part of the song, uh, the Morse code says carry on as in, you know, like stop it and like carry on about your business. And so all of a sudden we see this white guy come out the car um, and we also see, 
Yeah, and we also see yet another version of Fontaine. This one is named Chester. Chester. Chester, mm-hmm. yes. Um, the white guy's bodyguard. Yeah, a bodyguard of sorts. And so uh, the white guy comes out. Oh, his name is Nixon. Nixon comes out the car, uh, which is ironic because, you know, President Nixon. Um, so right. Nixon comes out the car. Also and- ironic because the actor that plays Nixon, Kiefer Sutherland, is Canadian. I just thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> That's so random. Um, so yeah, Nixon comes out the car and he's talking to um to them and you know, telling them about, you know, oh, we've seen what you've been doing and this and that and da 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 and then all of a sudden he says the word Olympia Black. And now he's instructing uh Fontaine to do certain things like put the gun in his mouth, put the gun to Yo Yo's head, uh like cock the gun and all that stuff. And so he's like, Don't forget, we control you, you don't control us go home and you know just it's over that's it for you and so uh we don't know how they got home but Fontaine wakes up uh in his bed and he asks his mom something and then all of a sudden Yo-Yo's at at the door and she comes through yelling at him and she's like um we need to fix this you know we need to fix this for you know the children and the moms and the grandmothers and the sons and all that stuff you know we need to make the community better we can't have these we can't have these white people you know surveilling us and brainwashing us and stuff and Fontaine is like nah I'm done um I'm gonna live my life because that is not real anyways what do I have to lose and so Yo-Yo is understandably pissed off so she storms out and then now let's take a little break to hear from our sponsors it's summertime, guys, which means it's the prime time for festivals and concerts. This festival season, planning for faster, efficient hydration is essential. Liquid IV has you covered while you prep before, power through to the headliner, and recover after the weekend. It's convenient packaging and delicious flavors like watermelon, and hydrating feeling keeps me coming back for more. One stick of Liquid IV and 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. They have 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydrating routine exciting. Made with premium ingredients, non-GMO, and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. This is the perfect thing to keep you hydrated this festival season. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code BFFRPOD at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop hydration today using promo code BFFR at liquidiv.com. So this is the part where um, Fontaine uh, is making himself some dinner and then he thinks he gets an idea. So he goes to talk to his mom and he's like, mama, I would need to talk to you if you open the door. Mama, you know, let me in. And so he basically breaks down the door and he figures out that his mom isn't in there. It's nothing but a radio. And the radio only has three responses. Um, No, not right now. Uh, The fish fry and uh something else like i'm not hungry or whatever mm-hmm. and uh yeah he this is this is his sort of is the final nail in his matrix breaking coffin and so he goes to find uh slick charles and meanwhile yo-yo is out and about um she sees pinky um we yet again see the missing persons poster in the background of that lady from the from the uh the underground place and um yo-yo gets snatched up by the van um and the white guy nixon takes her to the underground bunker and you know decides to you know torture her or whatever 
Um, and so, meanwhile, uh, Fontaine and Slick Charles are, you know, doing stuff. And then uh, Fon- Slick Charles is like, I have an idea, but you're not going to like it. And so, all of a sudden, we see um, Fontaine goes to his rival. And he's asking him, he's telling him about the, the cloning stuff and all the experiments and stuff. And the rival doesn't believe him. And, you know, so he's talking about, you're full of crap. And so, he shoots him. Um, and the black van comes back and picks him up and brings him down to the underground. And all of a sudden, we see Fontaine wake up again. But this time, uh, he goes out and uh, Pinky uh, talks to him. And all of a sudden, Slick Charles is kidnapping him and Pinky. And so he locks him up in the hotel and he leaves. Turns out it was all a ploy. Uh, they were working together with their rivals to, you know, fix the community and stuff and uh it was all you know just pretend to make it to make so that the uh the people watching them wouldn't get suspicious um and so Fontaine didn't die uh he was just shot in the shoulder um so he gets out of his body bag and you know he uh goes to find um yo-yo and stuff you know doing all the things and and then he uh lets Charles in and Charles brings the cavalry into the underground bunker. Everybody has united with their guns and weapons to take down this government facility. Um, and they find Yo-Yo because uh, <laughs> this was hilarious. So they decided to use the perm on Yo-Yo um, to you know get her you know to calm down and brainwash her and stuff. And they thought it worked. Turns out her her hair was a wig, so it didn't work. That was she, hilarious. It was so funny. She was able to escape. Um, and they ran around. They were, you know, attacking the people. They freed the, the people trapped. They freed the clones. And then, you know, they were having a standoff. The Nixon and Yo-Yo and Slick Charles were having a standoff together. And, you know, Slick Charles was out of, was out of ammo. And uh, Yo-Yo was forced to give up her gun. And, you know... The guy knocked out Slick Charles, and all of a sudden, another version of Slick Charles came and, sh- and hit him. Um, okay. Yeah, and I was like, wait a minute. Mm, who's the real Slick Charles? The one with the leather jacket. Yeah, wait, what? Oh, oh the one, yeah. The other one had the fur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but I was like, how'd they manage that? Um, anywho, that was very interesting. Um, and so they run out. Um, all the clones free, they run out into the street, and so the newscast hit there, they're like these naked people in the street, and they're saying that they're clones, because one girl holds up, uh, Yo-Yo's research, and is like showing it and stuff, um, and yeah, it's all over the news, you know, and the, they, it worked, the facility shut down, and, you know, uh, Yo-Yo, Fontaine, and Sir Charles decide to, um, head to Houston, and you know, live their lives, and then the screen fades to black. And you want to go, friend? Yeah, I was just gonna rewind a little bit, friend. We we forgot to mention the old. So the biggest oh, twist of the mm-hmm. movie. So mm-hmm. as Slick Charles and Yo Yo are freeing the other clones and are just having the standoff against Nixon's character, so Fontaine like he gets out of the body bag since he was got only got shot in the shoulder so then he finds out the real head behind this operation that it actually wasn't nixon it was actually none other than himself another fontaine that was the mad scientist but older 
quite surprisingly, and that he actually wasn't a clone, that he was the, I mean, per him, he's the original Fontaine, but who knows if he was lying, you know? Yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he was the original Fontaine, and mm-hmm. I also wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't. So he's basically like, um, you know, about our brother, Ronnie, um, I gave you some of the memories of his death, but I didn't tell you everything, Ronnie was shot by a policeman, and instead of them giving him help or, you know, take him to the hospital, they left him to die out on the pavement. And when he had to go to the morgue to identify him, they didn't, like, clean him up or anything. So he had to, you know, clean clean Ronnie up himself, wipe him up all the blood, also clean up the street where he was killed at. And, you know, he decided that from then on he wanted to change that and make sure it never happened again. So here's the most interesting thing. Um... He decides that instead of his people getting annihilated, he wants to assimilate them, which means he wants us, he wants black people to become white people so that we can Mm. assimilate. But it seems kind of counterproductive because if you want black people to turn into white people, well, then isn't that annihilation in itself? You're annihilating black people. That technically is very contradictory. Yeah, if you want to turn white, then we're no longer black, which means you've annihilated the black people. And that goes back to what we said earlier in the film, that with the whole Bob Ross joke that you made with the white guys, with the Afros, that... So, okay, so let me just backtrack a little bit. So Fontaine's motivation came from his brother Ronnie dying, and that, you know, he didn't want, like, any other, like, harm in the black, in, in the Glen to happen like that. So he figures to himself, like, his first plan of tactic was to brainwash black people into just living in this bubble of, how best to put it, that, like, the everyday products that they consume, like, the food at the fried chicken restaurant, the certain hair products that they put in their hair, the music that they listen to, it pretty it's pretty much a weapon of consumerism used against them to put them in this bubble of unaware. Yeah, there's pretty much this bubble of unawareness, to be honest, because if they're stuck in this simulation like the Matrix and if they don't break out of it, they really have nothing to worry about. It's kind of like they say when a child is so young that they're always so happy, and then as you get older and you learn how world, how massive the world really is, you start to become not as happy, if that makes sense, like the more you know. Yeah, and then them in this bubble makes a lot of sense, especially because we don't know what year it is there's such a mix and match of technology but also like they all they all have flip phones and those box tvs but also we have more modern references like obama and uh the blockchain or the whatever it's called um Mm -hmm. and yeah it's like it's like they within the town they only have limited technology but they are also aware of events that are happening in the world to a certain extent yeah it's also complicated because you have modern references to like obama for example but then in the very opening when the two guys are talking about tupac and michael jackson outside of the corner liquor store that there's a guy selling like these old like cds and then um what was it you even have like the clothing attire of slick charles and yo-yo's character that it's very reminiscent of like the style of 
you know, like a New York City pimp in the 1970s or like a 1970s like black prostitute with the leather, the silk and the afros and the whatnot. And it's like, but then you have Fontaine who's just totally modern, like wearing a pair of like Kyrie sneakers and like just Mm -hmm. a regular Nike hoodie. So it's like, what the heck time period is this set in, you know? Yeah, and then it also makes you question because you, because if these clones are, you know, these uh, monumental figures in this society, why mm. doesn't anyone notice that these people are the same people that you've seen for years? And we also forgot to mention Frog, um, the homeless man that always sits outside yes. the corner store, uh, who is very aware of the things that are going on, and. Uh, pretty much guides Fontaine to like to know where to go like he tells him to go to the church he tells him that Jesus will lead him to where he needs to be he knows about the truck he um he said he told Fontaine that he had that fresh new shoe smell because that Mm -hmm. Fontaine was a newer version so Frog is very much so um aware of what's going on probably because he is the oldest person that we see um, and he's always outside, you know, mm-hmm. he's homeless. He's always outside. He always sees stuff. He, he's always there. And he also, he also alluded to the fact that they were being watched and stuff. And he, was, he, oh, at the very beginning of the movie, he, you know, talks about how straight is great and all that stuff. And he talks about the chicken as well. So Frog really is in tune to what's going on with the, uh, with the society, maybe because he, he knew what it was like before. The government experiment showed up there yeah i had also you know so i actually just thought about this just now friends so i think him being one of the oldest in the glen is the possibility of why he knew everything was going on you know so he's seen a lot of like familiar faces over and over again but what if also that you take into consideration Notice how you said Frog is just always outside in the same place at the same corner store, like every morning when Fontaine does his routine. What if Frog is the only one that's going that knows what's going on? Is because he never goes into town and consumes in all the mind control products. Like he wasn't at the fried chicken restaurant, he wasn't at the barber shop with the hair creams, he wasn't at the church. So that can also be another reason why. Like yeah, he's like uh... only. He's the only constant that remained out of the Matrix. He's like the Oracle character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he doesn't partake in that stuff, probably because he has no money, but also because he doesn't have a yeah. need to. Mm-hmm. And he also benefits from, I guess, Fontaine's routine, because uh, Fontaine bringing him liquor um, every day. That's, that's a part of his routine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it happens every day. That's a constant for him. But he also sees, uh, he also is a part of Fontaine's everyday routine. He sees it. Uh, and then he, he, I guess, notices when there's a new Fontaine. And he also saw the black truck and he wasn't surprised by it, which probably means he's seen other people be picked up by these black trucks. Um, so, yeah. And I know you said that the, uh, the frog was a reference to wisdom and stuff. Yeah, in literature. Uh, so, yeah, that's also an interesting um, reference. like the power temporarily you know, <laughs> on my side for a second, folks. I'm surprised the Wi-Fi didn't go out. But yeah. Um, and then it also makes you question, um, who is a clone? Who isn't a clone? Because when we see all those boxes, 
It's a bunch of boxes. And as far as we know, there's only like five clones that are necess- that are essential to the um the community. So who the heck is in all these other boxes? Yeah. The last thing we talked about was how Frog is the Oracle of the Matrix. Once again, y'all, the government hates us because we had difficult difficulties. Again, his power literally went out out of nowhere. And it was like, even raining. Like, what kind of trifling BS is that? It's like the power goes out for a split second. It crashes my Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi takes like at least a good 20 minutes to reset. And then it's like, I'm like, it's already 7 o'clock. Let me go eat some dinner. So then at that point, we just took like a good like 40 minute like just little break to just reset mentally because we were stressed out at that point. Yeah, it's very ghetto out here. Like they want to see our downfall for some reason. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. But anywho, like we were saying, we talked last thing we talked about was Frog being the Oracle, you know, the only one who really knew what was going on without mm. you being informed, basically. Um right. and yeah, the last thing we left off with the movie was um how Frog knew. Oh, so uh we figured out that old fontaine was the one running the sh- running the science part of the part of the show making the clones and stuff and you know they were able to get the cloning operation shut down it was exposed on the news and uh yo-yo tyrone and not tyrone yo-yo fontaine and yeah. charles were able to uh decide to go to houston like carry on with their lives which makes me question you know what do these clones have an expiration date like, do they age like regular humans? Because they die like regular humans. So, do they yeah. age like regular humans? I'm thinking to myself, because, you know, Fontaine, Slick Charles, and Yo-Yo only taught about, talked about leaving the Glen for Houston. But, of course, we don't actually see that. And it kind of begs, begs the audience interpretation question. If... Fontaine and Slick Charles leave the Glen considering that they're clones. Do they die out there? Can they not leave the Glen? Or, I don't know. I don't see why they wouldn't be able to leave. It seems as though they function as regular humans. And then that makes you question, how often were they dying? Were Fontaine was constantly getting clones? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is a good question because old Fontaine, the mad scientist, like he's obviously done this for a while. Yeah, and then Frog was like, you got the new shoe smell. So that clearly wasn't his first time being cloned. So, like, how many times have you died? And how many people have killed you? And then it makes me wonder, where is the original Charles? Where is he at? Yeah, we didn't see how the original Charles died, did we? No, and then in order to clone something, you have to have an original to clone from. So I'm pretty sure that's what they were doing with that kidnapped lady who's over all the missing posters. They were showing mm-hmm. her all those images, like indoctrinating her into that. And they were going to clone her once they had, once she had all those images in those minds with certain certain parts of her memories. So I think that's like the cloning, a part of the cloning process or whatever. Ooh, friend. Okay, so I don't know if you're about to get the reference that I'm about to make, but did I ever ask you if you ever saw Lovecraft Country? Yes, I did. Okay. Do you remember the episode in particular when Ruby turns into a white woman? Mm-hmm. And, okay, so going back to the lady that got kidnapped from the liquor store, 
and you see her in the chair looking at those images with her eyes like trapped open that it was repeating this phrase you can be beautiful you you are now beautiful or something like that mm -hmm. and if you remember old fontaine that he knew that assimilation wasn't enough that you know he literally needed the black people of the glen to literally become white people what if they were indoctrinating into that girl's head like you know western beauty standards that you know she needs to be whiter you know to be more beautiful or whatever and also if you remember frog said in the opening of the movie and just throughout the movie that straighter is greater going back to the hair perm aspect mm -hmm. yeah the boxes probably the gonna become boxes. another she was probably gonna become another one of those experiments that they were gonna turn her into a white woman like you know because remember when fontaine meets old fontaine like he had those containments in the back like it was a black man slowly turning more white and white and he finally perfected it like it wasn't an afro anymore yeah um so like the food workers were like suspected to be his uh failed experiments well the food managers suspected to be yeah. his failed experiments and i'm thinking that the dj was a successful experiment because he didn't have an afro I didn't really take him into consideration. Yeah, that's true. I mean, this could be a bit of a stretch. Do you think that Nixon was also once black, or he's just he was just regular, regular white man? I think he was a regular white man. Yeah. No, he's not giving experiment vibes. Yeah, you're right. Um, Especially the way that he was talking about keeping the United States united. Yeah. Yeah, um, so, yeah, they decide to go to Houston, and then the screen turns black, and you think, movie's over, you know, and then as soon as the screen turns black, I'm like, wait a minute, hmm, who was Tyrone? <laughs> the right, whole because, time. Because we're watching the movie, like, and he's called the clone Tyrone. Uh, initially, when I saw the trailer for this movie, I thought that John Boyega's character was going to be named Tyrone, because, mm -hmm. you know, they cloned Tyrone, but that wasn't the case, his name is Fontaine, so I'm watching this, and I'm like, so is Fontaine like his street nickname and Tyrone is his real name or I don't yeah, know. Like, I'm just kind of like waiting throughout the movie to find out. Yeah, that was my question too. But then we see Fontaine wake up in his mm. bed and he follows his routine this time. But this time is different. This time he has, you know, those raindrop tattoos on his face. Uh, he you know, signifying. He has, um, what were those? braids or corners one of the two yeah so he has different hair he has the tattoos on his face signifying you know his different kills um he is around different people when he's working out uh he goes to a different store his mom says a different thing when he asks her the question um he but he still you know fills up a homeless guy's cup um so that's that's a constant in the routine uh as well and then he is seen uh, hanging out with his friends at a house and they're seeing the the news from glenn from from the Glen. Uh, well, we assume it's the Glen. We don't know. Uh, but it's looking like there is a, they're outside the cloning facility um, and the clones are walking around naked and all of a sudden we see a clone of Fontaine and he's sitting there with his friends and he sits up and they're like, Tyrone, ain't that you? And then the movie ends. And then, you know, Erica Badu comes on. Yeah, because they took the song so the song is originally called Better Call Tyrone, but then like they slightly changed. There's like they clone Tyrone. I think somebody cloned Tyrone. Cloned me. That was funny. I had a good laugh. I had a good laugh. 
And that yeah. really... Oh, sorry. No, you first, you first. Yeah, that really signified the movie for me. That was, like, the perfect closeout. That was everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have something else to say, friend? Yeah, I was just going to say that you pointed out that everything was quite the same about his routine, but slightly different. Like, this just slight change in his appearance, like his hairstyle, like he had his hair braided back. He had um, tattoos on his face and even just the way that he dressed like it looked it looked like he was driving around like California, probably like an L.A. neighborhood and that he was in the Crips or something like that. Just going off of like his attire and people are really wondering, like, what's the meaning of this ending? The way that I interpret it here, I actually wrote it down because it's a lot to say. Ooh, okay, we're ready for the analysis. The JD analysis. <laughs> the famous. I don't know. Me personally, um, I was very confused for a minute. Yeah. But now that I'm thinking about it, I too have my own conclusion. Um, because I know they said throughout the movie that they had, you know, different these government things in different locations like LA and Chicago. And so mm. this is seemingly its LA um location. And, you know, we have the Tyrone clone um, mm. and stuff. So I wonder, mm. you know, who's this version? Where is this version? It's like Charles and stuff. And I wonder if it's going to cause yet another uprising. And then while you're looking for that, uh, I know that we both noticed throughout the movie that there was a lack of police in the movie. Like there was no police in the movie at all. And that was probably interesting because, you know, there's so much uh, sex work and drug dealing and you know gang banging throughout the movie and it's just interesting to see that there's no police uh when those things are going on oh yeah and we forgot to mention june bug the little boy who comes in throughout yes. the movie mm-hmm. uh, yeah, about that. yeah he basically uh is a source of encouragement for fontaine because he reminds Fontaine of his little brother, and he also he's a part of Fontaine's um, reasoning for wanting to break down that system that they had. Because he wants to make life uh, better for Junebug, because because and people like Junebug, and so I know you were thinking that Junebug might have been a clone, but I don't necessarily think he's a clone. I just think that he represents um, hope. Mm-hmm. I think he's a representation of hope because this is sort of like. Um, Alice in Wonderland, like Frog is like, you know, the um, what's the name of that guy from Alice in Wonderland? Or is no, 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 Alice in Wonderland, the Wiz, uh, the Wizard. Frog is like the Wizard, mm-hmm. um, and Junebug is like the Lion. I don't know if that makes sense, friend. Um, <laughs> Didn't the lion want courage? Yes. Um, so Junebug can be seen as like a like a, a representation of hope and courage because that's what he provides for Fontaine. Because um, he's just, you know, a cute kid uh, who, and yeah, that's what I think. What do you think? I thought it was also really, to build off of you, I thought it was really interesting how Junebug kept comparing Fontaine to Squidward. And it really flew over my head because the more you keep thinking about it, like the allegories of SpongeBob, like Bikini Bottom, Bikini Bottom is obviously the Glen. Get it, Bikini Bottom, because you know they're living in this matrix, like rock bottom, like situation that they couldn't get themselves out of. 
until they saw the bigger picture and broke out of their programmings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Bikini Bottom could also be a reference to the under to the underground uh, mm-hmm. system down there. So, yeah. And to your point, when you take the dynamic of Junebug and Fontaine, they really are SpongeBob and Squidward. SpongeBob being that more optimistic light, even the most negative situation and living in a neighborhood like the Glen, but you take someone like Fontaine, who's more of the Squidward, just just grumpy, self-absorbed, and it's just kind of really just existing and not really living, per se, you know, especially all that he's been through. Yeah, but that's because, um, you know, it kind of reminds me of that episode where Squidward went to the land with all the other squids, and he was living basically the same day over and over again. And he I got really bored. I didn't piece that together. The Squidville episode. Oh my god, your friend, you're genius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he was basically living the same day over and over, and he got really bored of his circumstances because it was constantly the same environment. And right. It was the same people, and he was used to you know having people like Squidward and SpongeBob, and without those people, he sort of fell into this monotony. And but then he realized that he was missing out, so he left that place and went back with Squid, mm-hmm. with, uh, with SpongeBob and Patrick. Um, so yeah, it's sort this of like movie that is much more detailed than I really real. Wow, this movie is genius. You know, I kind of liken that to um, probably Frog's experience um, because he is constantly there and he's seeing all these people constantly there, like Fontaine, mm-hmm. Slick Charles. You know, these these people who are repeat. And mm-hmm. it's, but his life isn't mountainous. Squidward's life was mountainous. It was like, basically, Squidward's experience there was if Fontaine was aware that he was a clone. And he mm-hmm. was constantly doing the same thing over and over. And he knew his routine was the same over and over and over again. But, he, but since he mm-hmm. didn't, he wasn't, like, he wasn't like Squidward in that episode. Mm-hmm. But he turned into Squidward in that episode once he realized he was a clone. Right. And he realized he was following the same routine. And he broke out out of it by finding his uh his mom, uh who was a radio. Yeah. Which um, is crazy. Yeah, we didn't really dig too much into Fontaine's mom, so I think like we've said like a million times, like over this discussion about this film, that it's very much a matrix like type of poetry where perhaps when you take into consideration that old Fontaine has probably been cloning himself over and over again for who knows how long, like, in reality, like, you know, the mother would be, like, what, like, 200 years old. She's, like, long gone, you know? So, like, maybe, like, that's why old Fontaine didn't instill into the rest of his clones that his mom is dead. It's kind of, like, almost like an infinite time loop. He knows that his brother is dead, but it's, like, in the mind of the clones. It's picking up right after that moment, but in reality, it's been decades since that happened. Yeah, I feel like possibly because of the the seventies aesthetic of the town. I feel like maybe that happened back in the seventies when Ooh. old Fontaine was young, mm-hmm. and then he cloned himself at that point in time in the seventies. And now that he's constantly cloning these people, um, he sort of stuck in that mind frame, and so. He keeps the town stuck in that time period because that's where he's at mentally. Oh, I didn't even think about it that way. It's like the Glen developed but didn't 
really develop. It's just such a whole time warp situation. And I love the fact that they shot it on film instead of like you know, uh, modern camera because it really fit the fit the aesthetic and the vibes that they were trying to come across, and it made it look um, old timey. It gave mm -hmm. it the '70s vibe for sure. Right. Like some of the music in the movie, like the score, like it kind of had this like kind of funky like '70s type of thing. Yeah, like a Foxy Brown like um type thing. Yeah, and speaking of other like pop culture references, we get references to multiple different movies like Clockwork mm -hmm. Orange, that Kevin Bacon movie. Um, and Hello, man. I've, I've actually never seen that one, so those references probably flew over my head. Yeah, and a few other movies referenced throughout the film that were basically like you know trippy sort of. Um, constant type movies like this uh like clockwork orange especially so yeah it was just sort of alluding to the plot but it was probably also the filmmakers inspirations as well yeah you know what else is a reference so remember the black suv that will go around the glen kidnapping people it also reminds me of the opening scene of get out when lakeith sanfield is walking in the white suburb and then, like, the white sports car, like, pulls up and, like, just takes him away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, this movie is so interesting, and it can just fit a lot of real life, um, because, you know, oh, and then we have the real-life experiments and stuff, and how white yeah. people constantly try to, you know, monitor us and control us throughout history, and you know all that stuff and it, it's just crazy to me how in this movie um, a black man was basically the mastermind behind the operation mm -hmm. um because of something that happened to him which was caused by a white person so yeah it's just interesting to think about that yeah i think it's definitely symbolistic that of course, everything wrong and like in our communities, like like not just black people in America. You go to the Caribbean, you go to to black people in Latin America or the continent of Africa. So of course, we all have similar problems, like because of like white supremacy and whatnot. But at the same time, we also have a little bit to blame to ourselves because we're so internalizing these things and projecting them onto ourselves. At the end of the day, you know. I mean, I pretty much to say the least, we could be our own worst enemies sometimes, you know? And I think it's interesting also in another sense of how the, um, I, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, we get the mention that Fontaine's brother Ronnie was killed by police brutality, which, you know, is typical. But at the same time, I seem to know, and you, when you reflect that to real life, like with Breonna Taylor or George Floyd, or like any other the BLM victims more recently, those are the only times, unfortunately, when black people like rallied together for a similar cause that like, you know, we're being killed. But it's like we're being killed by m much more things than white or non-black cops. It's all like the movie demonstrated. It's in a lot of the things that we consume in our neighborhoods every day. Mm-hmm. It's all For part sure. of... Have you ever seen Boys in the Hood, friend? Yeah. There's a scene when Lawrence Fishburne's character, Trey's dad, I don't remember his name, um, but he was really just talking about, a, a, like, you know, the process of gentrification. So it's like, for example, 
Like, if cops aren't killing us, what else is killing us? You take a look at the average diet of someone living in lower income or even poverty. You go to the hood, there's probably going to be a McDonald's and a KFC left or right. You're not going to find no Whole Foods, like, grocery store. Like, I think the best you'll probably get is, like, the groceries at a bodega. Like, it's better than eating at McDonald's, but it's still not 100% either. Then you look to another corner, there's gun stores. Well, I would say there's less gun stores now because of the gun control going on on the East Coast. But gun culture is definitely still more prevalent in the South, but you get my point. Yeah. And, yeah. And then also hair creams. Like, isn't... I heard there was a controversy that the Neely brand, that it's not even black owned anymore that it's under some sort of new management they're changing the ingredients to diversify the demographic yeah it's a lot of brands that do stuff like that um like i know carol's daughter and um gosh it was another one i forgot the name of it um basically mm-hmm. they're like don't use it because they're because be- their uh, management is being replaced and they're changing their uh, up their ingredients and it's no longer healthy for black hair. And it's like, well, what's the point of you making making hair products for us if you're not gonna if you're gonna change the recipe? Mm-hmm. And I I just find it very weird, very strange. And speaking of you know perming and stuff, you know perming was so prevalent because we were taught that our natural hair was ugly and something to be ashamed of, and that you know straight is greater straighter is greater and all that stuff so it's just mm-hmm. like a lot of references throughout the movie really reflect on real life throughout history and even today right yeah um, totally... oh sorry were you gonna say something sorry? oh no go ahead friend no i was just totally agreeing with you that like you know going back to the whole straighter is greater like i'm sure you've been told at one point by one of your family members that like you know, to fix your hair because you're going out and you need to present yourself. But meanwhile, I was like, does my hair even really look that bad? Or does it look, like, unprofessional because there's no products in it? Like, like it's like, you're we're expected as black people. It's like we need to prepare our hair like we're going to a five-star formal event. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, all right, friend. I think it's about time we close this out. Wait, let me just check the topics. Um, Oh, I didn't get around to reading my summary of the ending with Tyrone, so let me read this. So here's the way that I interpret it. So you know how you said that Junebug is a constant within Fontaine's daily routine since he reminds him of his brother's Ronnie? Well, I think of characters like Fontaine and Slickback Charles. They're technically also remaining constants because remember that the character Nixon said that when they expand um, throughout other cities across the United States, like Los Angeles and California, that they'll always continue like to clone like the main players like that help contribute to distributing like the consumer products with the mind control. Like you have like every community has like a Fontaine like, you know, dealing the drugs and whatnot. And you have Slipback Charles, like, you know, he's a pimp. So it's like, you know, he not only, like, deals the drugs, but also, like, the woman and the sex and whatnot. And, um, like you said, since, like, notice that both Tyrone and Fontaine, like, follow a daily routine, I almost kind of like to think of it as an incarnation, per se, because, like you said before, they aren't entirely the same, but are also similar in some ways. It's because, like, the way that I interpreted the movie, 
like you know how like the running joke that all black people look the same or it's like you kind of mistaken one black person for another and it kind of makes you wonder in a spiritual aspect what if you had met that person in some other lifetime mm-hmm. yeah oh that's a whole different topic friend that i would love to talk about later oh yes, uh, i love topic. that I love, I love that. I love that. But yeah, I guess that's all I really have to say about the ending. That, like, it blew over a lot of people's heads that you gotta remember what Nixon said that they only cloned certain people because not everybody in the Glen was a clone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, was... now, here's where things get even more interesting, if you ask me, friend. So, they cloned mostly like the drugs um excuse me the drug dealers and the pimps and the and like the gangsters and whatnot now the prostitutes on your hand yo-yo wasn't a clone but yet there was that one girl in the pink i don't remember her name at the moment she was giving clone vibes she was giving clone vibes the way that she behaved it felt like an npc from like gta 5 or something because she sometimes she repeated the same phrases like yeah. maybe I seen them, maybe I ain't. And she was constantly on the same corner, doing the same stuff. And so I wouldn't be surprised if she was a clone. So she was starting to change her outfit. Um, I think she changed her outfit, but she kept her hair pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she was for sure giving clone vibes. I low key thought she was the the woman in the missing poster, but apparently she wasn't. So. Mm-mm. Yeah. It also kind of makes me wonder what the ending for Tyrone. So is it just going to loop back to the same thing that you know Tyrone is aware of the cloning process now, and he's also going to break out of it and like also free the clones in his area in Los Angeles? I wonder because if Tyrone saw it, then I'm sure other people in the town also saw it. And so like you said, oh sorry. No, I was just going to say, and like you said, Junebug is a constant, so I imagine that the Tyrone clone also has his own version of Junebug, which is going to inspire the Hulk into him for the neighborhood. Yeah, probably. Um, And what was I saying? Oh, so everybody saw the news, probably, Mm -hmm. if you watch the news. So it's probably going to cause an uprising everywhere that it's shown. Now it's, you know, pretty much national news, it seems like, because it went from the Glen to where Tyrone is at. So it's mm-hmm. fairly it's fairly interesting uh to see where that might go. Um what do you rate the movie friend? Um at first I gave it like an eight and a half or a nine, but after discussing this and filling in like little gaps that I had before, like after you sent me those brilliant like analysis videos, especially that one girl with the glasses, um shout out to What's her name again? Let's look, because I want to shout her ass as well, because she ate that analysis. Yeah, she really ate that up, if you're listening to I subscribe to her, because I want to see more content from her. Um, Struggle TV. Struggle Struggle Review TV. Yeah. (laughs) Shout out to her for her review of They Clone Tyrone. Because I totally didn't put the pieces together of the allegories of, like, Spongebob. That was Mm. really good. Yeah, she really made me made me think of some things that I didn't think of before. So mm-hmm. she certainly ate that. Once again, she has struggle reviews with a Z uh yeah. T V on YouTube. And she does a lot of a lot of the lot of videos like that. She did a video on set it off. Uh, she did a video she did on one. um 
did a video on Barbie and the Blues Brothers. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Definitely go check those out after. Oh, it should have it should a review on Swarm. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I rate the movie a ten out of ten. Um, I always have. I always thought it ate as soon as I finished watching it. Um, but yeah, it was a really great movie. Um, all of my favorite movies are really trippy and sort of mind bending like that. So this was really right up my alley. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I love the fact that it had a majority black cast. Uh, Jamie Foxx ate that. John Boyega ate that. Tiana, what's her name? Tiana? Yeah. Tiana Paris. Yeah. She ate that. Um, everybody ate like the whole cast. Just the power. Yana Parrish, she hasn't really been in too many other things lately, aside from being in the MCU. She was Monica Rambeau in WandaVision, and she'll be back in November in the new Marvels movie. And she was also previously in the 2021 version of the Candyman movie, which I know is pretty divisive amongst fans, but I personally enjoyed the movie, and Tiana was great in that. So if you haven't seen the new Candyman movie, and if you like Tiana Parrish, go check out in that. And, <coughs> oh, excuse me. John Boyega, shout out to him because, like, you know, I truly felt terrible for him that he was done so dirty by Disney and Star Wars, and he's really, like, getting back on his feet, like, landing, like, bigger roles in sci-fi, you know? Mm-hmm. Also, shout out to the uh, the movie, the filmmaker, and the uh, person who made this movie. Yeah, the director, Joel Taylor. I know this is his directorial debut. I definitely, after seeing this, hope to see more other really trippy mind-bending um uh, trippy mind-bending like thought-provoking movies like after they clone Tyrone. yeah i hope he gets way more opportunities from this and yeah i hope he continues to cast majority black cast and you know keep doing movies like this like i would love to see him and jordan peele you know possibly team up for for a film or a movie oh my god if they if they did an anthology series oh i would eat that up I would eat it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm looking for I'm looking forward to more from him. Um, this was really exciting, friend. Like I haven't been this excited about a movie in a while. This was definitely worth the watch. Oh, absolutely. This was definitely now in my top five movies of twenty twenty three so far. Like for sure. what would you say are some of your what would you say you rank it in your top five of twenty twenty three? Um, it'd definitely be at number one. I think Barbie is moving down to the number two slot because this was what this was. Uh, this was amazing. This is amazing. Barbie was amazing too, but this was this was this hit for sure. Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, we had fun tuning into they clone they clone Tyrone guys. Um, hope you did too. Um, I'm gonna leave a little. Uh, question on Spotify so you can leave your own thoughts and also we'll probably run up run a poll or something on our Instagram um, and on our personal Instagrams. so yeah if you listen to this app you made it this far leave your thoughts on the movie there also our DMs and comments are open so yeah leave your review and we'll look at it and if you have any recommendations for any movie similar to this or just any movies you'd like, you know, leave them there as well. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think this is it, guys. I think we're going to close yeah. out the app. 
Yeah, me and TJ are definitely trying to watch more thought-provoking movies. After Memento, like, we definitely had thought of, like, making this into, like, a little series. So, we watched Memento, we watched The Clone Tyrone. We were definitely thinking about rewatching all three of the Jordan Peele films, Get Out, Us, and Nope. And, and we gotta watch it- Butterfly oh, Effect. No. Yes, we added that to the list. So, let us know, y'all, if y'all have a trippy thought-provoking movie for us. Send it our way, please. Yep. Uh, once again, thanks for listening, and don't forget to check us out. Check out our socials. Um, I'm gonna add them in post because, yeah, I don't want to list them every time. They're also in the description, so if you check out the description, all every single one of our socials are there. Our pod socials and our posters and our personal socials. Um, so yeah, check us out there. Give us a follow. Give us some likes, and yeah, hope you enjoyed listening. Bye bye. See y'all.